Oh, Don, what's up with that scary mask? <laughs> I'm just being careful. I got my owl mask on. Well, I Don... Thought, I thought that the owl would be more realistic if, there, if you could see an owl face on my face instead of my face when I go... Welcome to the Boil Down Coffee Club Podcast, the meeting after the meeting where we talk about our experience living sober. We don't speak for Alcoholics Anonymous. This is only our experience. We have no monopoly on sobriety. If you don't like our approach, that's okay. There's lots of ways to live and lots of ways to live sober. This works for us. Hey, let me take this off. Well, I was just going to say, Don, I, I think that you're a little muffled there. It would work better if you put the uh, the mask a little higher up on your face. You just wanted me to cover my whole face. Well, kind of. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> you know, I was, uh, we had stopped at a rest stop on the internet. A right rest stop on the internet? I'm not the internet. <laughs> You've been zooming too much, man. On the information highway. No, on the highway, rest stop on the highway. And it was right before it turned cold. And I picked up my, you know, I was wearing my mask. I had a string around it. So it's always around my neck. So I could just lift it up and put it on. So I lifted it up. And what do you think I saw in my face mask, just as I put it, about to put it on, was a stink bug. Oh, I was going to say an M&M. Well, that's <laughs> what I was wondering if what it was. It? And it was a stink bug. And I almost put that thing on, so I wrote a song. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Lay it on us. Here we go. There's a sneak bug in my face mask trying to crawl up my snoot. You might think that's cute. No, I'm not okay, but I'm glad you asked. There's a sneak bug in my face mask. Goes on like that. (laughs) (laughs) I approve. I'm, what, have you ever gotten any, anything odd in your face mask? The only thing that I've gotten in my face mask that has bothered me is my breath. <laughs> well, <laughs> it, man, that, that that morning breath of uh, masking up to take the dogs out for their first walk of the day. It's like maybe I should start brushing my teeth first. <laughs> yeah, gargle with scope, <laughs> but non-alcoholic. <laughs> Don, how you been? I've been doing well. I'm hanging in here. What about you? I'm doing well, hanging in too. It's uh, it, it, it's amazing. It's kind of uh, we we kind of got a Groundhog Day thing going on here. A uh, little bit, but, just a touch, very much so. Yeah, yeah. Except it's a new year. We're recording now in a new year, and uh, it's uh, 2020 version two so far. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I did a, a 12-step call with a guy who quit drinking. I mean, you know, people are coming in this time of year, the new year, a lot of Surely. people make a resolution and quit drinking. And uh, there was a guy who did, and I ended up talking him through during the night. I don't know. You know, I didn't do that much, but probably I probably talked to him about three hours over the course of the evening. And the, and the latest one was he called at uh, 1130. I talked to him about an hour, but you know, he was shaking and having a time. He was really going through withdrawals. And I, you know, I don't know. I was just like going, well, tell me, 
uh, what TV shows are you watching? I can't watch TV. I mean, I can't, I can't do anything. I tell you, this is terrible. Yeah, it is terrible. So what was the last TV show you watched? Well, uh, I don't know. I was watching uh, Bridgerton. Oh, yeah, I watched some of Bridgerton. What, what character? I've just kept talking to him and talking to him and to keep his mind off of wanting to drink. And I, I, you know, what we would do if it was normal times is show up at his house and sit with him. And it would be typically a couple of people. Yeah, but you can't do that. But it was amazing <laughs> to me that it's possible to do all of this over the telephone. And, you know, if somebody really wants it, and, and he did, and he, I've talked to him, it's been a week, he's still sober, and um, he was like going, you saved my life. And I was like, I don't know. All I did was just keep talking to you. Well, and you know, I, I, you minimized this when you first started talking about it, saying, you know, you don't really know that you did all that much, just talked with him for three hours. Well, Dude, yeah. that's a big deal. I mean, yeah. you, in that time... You were helping someone through a, a, a really tough situation that we've been through, not drinking at the very beginning. I remember. And, and helping distract from wanting that drink, uh, offering that, that connection, as much connection as we can realistically do right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you were simply, you were the hand of AA. Yeah, that's what I need to do is pass it on. I mean, do you remember, did you go through like withdrawal shakes and stuff when you quit drinking or did you, were you in a treatment center dealing with that? No, I did it on my own. I, I did not uh, go to a treatment center, but my, uh, my drinking was not sustaining levels of alcohol in my system. It was binge drinking. While um, I had some uh, some days when the, uh, the the next day was I was shaky, that was more the hangover type of thing rather than uh, than withdrawals or, or delirium tremens. So no, I did not go through unpickling if you can do that. Yeah, um, but, but what about craving? Oh God, yes, yeah. I mean, yeah. but but. Quite frankly, I mean, I, I strongly hold to uh, to what I learned in the rooms, and that is that I have an allergy, a physical allergy to alcohol, that putting it in my body leads to the phenomenon of craving, and that as long as I don't put it in my body, then that phenomenon of craving won't happen. But I also have that that obsession with mm-hmm. alcohol being a solution to my problems. And that's the one that was kicking my ass. And that's why I had so many starts and stops and starts and stops was because even though I hadn't had alcohol in me, I didn't have a physical craving. I had an obsession that I didn't have a solution for. Right. So you go back. Exactly. I've got to use something. I cannot handle how I'm feeling right now. And well, so I know that alcohol is a solution, even though I know it's killing me. That's, right. that's what the thinking was. Well, we have a guest and I want to get him in on this conversation. Oh, I know he wants to get in on this conversation. Like hey, jumping. introduce yourself. Hey guys, I'm Brian F. And uh, glad you guys invited me on. I'm excited to share. Glad you're here, Brian. Sports. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Brian, are you alcoholic or... Drugs. Oh, I'm buying, I'm definitely an alcoholic. Uh-huh. Yes, sir. Yep, been sober since March 18th, 2009. Did 
Did you have that kind of cravings and shakes? Did you have withdrawal symptoms when you quit? I would definitely say that I had cravings, but I had what they would call like the spiritual awakening type of event where I literally lost the desire to drink um, after crying out for help. That first night or afternoon? Yes. Now, mind you, I was still smoking pot and doing a little cocaine, but I had lost the desire to drink. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's a big... Now, you know, that's just, that's just kind of how it all went. Like, I stopped drinking 12 years ago, New Year's Eve, so it was, it was January 1st. And it was a series of events, finding out I had a, was going to have a kid and things, and I had this epiphany, and I knew that I needed to change. But I didn't do it all at once. You know, I still had that crutch of the marijuana and I, I didn't really understand everything so but once I did I officially started my recovery started fresh 100% abstinent and that was uh, March 18 2009 so it took me a few months uh-huh. to to kind of fulfill that uh, sensation of that I needed to be sober from everything to stay off the alcohol so to speak Describe that three months. What you're in? in a, uh, it was. In a uh, it was. Way. It was like. It was almost like a weird feeling of like I felt so amazing and sober and clear, and then I had slipped up and like smoked some pot and stuff, and then I felt this huge conflict like I never felt before. Like I was. Uh, I, for the first time, I felt like the dishonesty. You know, I felt my conscience. And because I had already met a few people in AA and I was, you know, talking about how sober I was. When, when in time, that period did you go to AA? I went, I went pretty much right away. I was going to AA. Were you going before you quit and had the spiritual experience? No, no. I had uh, been introduced. Uh, it was funny. During that Christmas, I had was given a big book of Alcoholics Anonymous by my mom. She gave it to me for Christmas. And then my brother gave that me that could gift. be a really good gift or yeah. a really nasty <laughs> gift. I mean, it's funny because I don't want to quit. Brother, that big book's a bad gift. <laughs> I know. My brother gives me a case of assorted beers, and my mom gives me uh, <laughs> a big book. Oh my <laughs> so, god, that's fantastic! That tells uh, a story. <laughs> so I drank some beers and read that book, and it was <laughs> it really clicked. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Wow. So it was actually one of the first books I ever re read. And I'm going to tell you that I know that sounds strange, but I never was a reader. Uh -huh. I never sat and read a book because I'm such a spaz. My attention span, I'm ADD. I, I just can't sit and read a book mm -hmm. and retain anything. So that was the first book I sat and read. And, and that's what I mean. This series of events, like for the first time I could like read the words and and they touched me and I felt it, so to speak. Like people tell me how they read and they really go into the book and I didn't get that. But I went into it and I was picturing myself like these folks and like, and I just couldn't deny how much I could relate. Wow. Yeah, and it was bizarre because my wife at the time, she was looking at me like, what, are you reading? <laughs> I was like, yeah. <laughs> I had my big book and I had the, like the book lamp that you clamps onto it. And I'm like, yeah reading that's that's wild brian because i have uh, i had a hard time identifying with the book 
it seemed like the language was well it was like the language was very the language was definitely um strange to me but it was like i like i said i had this strange connection to the book yeah it was it was cool well there's a a, a thing going on there in in that book that i, I it, it's it's kind of like talking having a conversation with somebody and though they may have grown up somewhere else their language is is a little different or uh, you know their their dialects and all that you know i still get the gist of what they're saying and so reading it on my own i connected just like i can connect with someone in a conversation even though i may not understand every word they're saying or whatnot um, so I, I, I love that you clicked with the book. You, you got into a conversation almost uh, somewhat with the book. And, and then I also love the fact that, you know, we have sponsorship where a sponsor takes us through the book, because Definitely. that's where we get to have the conversations with somebody who's been through this book and, and we get to pick apart the stuff that's, that's being presented to us in it as well and employ it. Um, but I love, I love that you relate that you exactly you just well, read I it, and got it. I could feel it. I could definitely feel it, but I didn't know what to do with it. So it was almost like if someone just handed me that book, I wouldn't be sober today. So it was like, it gave me enough energy to want to know more. And awesome. that's what brought me into the rooms and connected with people. And it wasn't until I got that sponsor and we sat down and read it that I realize how you take the words and put it into like a way of living, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. and it was very, yeah. it was very personal. Like this gentleman was way older than me. We had nothing in common. And I sat in his living room and we read the book together. And it was very intimate and just, it was pretty awesome. We would read some and we would talk about it and we would break it down. So he was like, you know, this is what this maybe means. And this is how I did it, how I brought it into action. So I was like, man, I, I needed that for sure. Because I look for the loopholes, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you wouldn't be a proper alcoholic if you didn't. <laughs> I'm like, you know, it doesn't say anything about pot in here, you know? Fine. And, no, uh, no, it does. If, whether he dies by musket or by pot. <laughs> by pot. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> well it doesn't say anything about diet pills don and it was like it told me to go yeah, to the, does it. What? it told me to go to the closest no, no. uh bar room and test it out i think i read something like that yeah, yeah. <laughs> try some controlled drinking yeah see if i'm a real alcoholic my sponsor said that to me uh as i was talking to him and i was complaining about some aspect of the book there something that it was asking me to do probably talking about God. And he said, well, Don, you can go out and try drinking some more and uh, see if, how that would work. It's going, no, no, I'm just complaining. It's not, I'm not going to do it. But, <laughs> but I'm just kvetching. Kick me out. <laughs> I but love it. it. I mean, that, that worked for me to give me willingness. It's just like, you don't have to do this. You can go drink if you want to. This is what we do. Have you uh, shared like that with, uh, with any sponsees or, or potential sponsees, Brian? I haven't been that harsh because like, you know, I've seen that, that go horribly wrong, but 
I'm more or less, I don't do the, uh, you know, the big book thumping, you know, trying to force people to do things because, you know, I'm a little more loving and tolerant. And I think it was because that's how some folks were with me. You know, I'm the type of person to say, you know what, if you don't want, if you don't want to work this program, go, you know what, go get drunk. You know, call me, call me, call me when you get some more pain, right? Uh, you know, that's I've heard some stuff like that, and that shamed me so much early on that I didn't want to be that. I didn't want to have that type of approach because I, I was told no when I asked the person to be my sponsor a couple of times, and I was told, you know, uh, to be quiet, you know, shut up and listen. You know, and I got I I could understand their passion, but it, it didn't really do me well. You know, I'm a type of person that has a lot of shame, and so it, it was like, you know, it it it, it wouldn't have took much for me to be like, oh, you know what, screw screw y'all, man. I I, I I'm it. not here to I'm not here to be uh, have somebody try to be my parent. You know, I'm out of here. But you know, I, I love that you that you're sharing that that different approach, that different uh, understanding experience than what what Don uh, got from a sponsor. Um, Excuse me, I've just got to speak up for my sponsor. He he was. Oh, not, he's horrible. He's a horrible, horrible man. He was not. He was not that harsh. He was like going, Don. You can try drinking if you don't want to do this. I mean, that's that's what <laughs> that was Russ, said. right? That we've had on the show. That it was Gary. Oh, okay, okay. Um, but but that the, the point that I'm making there is that, you know, thank God we've got these different ways that sponsorship shows up because we are wired differently. Um, there are people that I have, have known in these rooms who need that hardcore structured approach to get their act together, so to speak. They need someone directing their, their behavior. Go to this meeting, call me at this time. Um, and then there are other people who don't need, matter of fact, would react poorly to that kind of direction that would say, screw you, I'm out the door uh, and, and never come back. Um, and so we've got this wonderful variety of the way that people work with, uh, with others. And it really helps. Absolutely. And I think that that's why you know, this thing works, this, the diversity, you know, and the, the option when they say, you know, you don't have to marry your sponsor you don't if it's not working out you can get a new one i had three within the first two years and yeah i i got something different from each one and it was actually it was what was necessary at the time and so mm. maybe i questioned it then but when i look back it was like man i needed that first gentleman he was very nice and we would meet up above the funeral parlor which was like the strangest thing i've ever <laughs> done and that's why I said, when I look back, I think I got bamboozled somehow. Cause I'm like, why did I not question any of this? I'm like, you know, I'm like a willing participant to go, I'm on top of Forbes and Dick and meet with a bunch of men and read the big book. And it was like, like, why was I not like, what the hell is going on here? This is not right. <laughs> but you know, bamboozled. That's what we did. And it was like, I didn't question nothing, you know, like the first meeting, these tall, gentle giants, you know, uh, y'all know, uh, know a few of them, but they were just so tall. It was that Wednesday uh, group, the Green Street group. Mm-hmm. You know, I walk in, there's three, three six, six guys. <laughs> <laughs> I know one of was, them. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was uh, Boyd, Lewis, and John. 
<laughs> Those are my first introduction to AA. They're all physically tall, but you know, I got sober going to that group as well. And for some, when I was first going, not only did they seem tall and well dressed and clean and happy, all things that I didn't think alcoholics were, but they also seemed to glow with this kind of like well being. And I felt inferior to that. I mean, I felt, because I felt like a turd when I came in. I mean, I, I really felt bad about myself. And it was like there was some light in these people's eyes that was made it, it was attractive. Did you have that, that experience as well as the physical size of them? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, it was part of that, what I mean, the gentle giant. They were so, like, inviting and... Uh, non-judgmental and i mean if you saw me then you'd be you'd probably clinch your purse because that's the shape i showed up uh, i was a little thug uh, uneducated i was 240 pounds uh, and i was just a hot mess and i walk in there and that's what i was approached with and so it made me want to come back the next day because of yes their life seemed like it was together they were, you know, men in the sense of what I would think like a man would be. They seemed uh, at peace or I would say professional almost like, you know, they have their lives together. They have jobs and careers and families. So all that stuff interests me because I had absolutely none of that. And um, I was very much searching for something at the time because I was lost. And I was 28 years old, and some people think that's young. Some people say that's old, but, I mean, I was a 28-year-old child, in a sense. Mm -hmm. I was not a man. And I had a child on the way. One way or the other, it was coming. So I just had this motivation to see what was different or what was out there because my life was, was not working out. There's a, a phrase that, that popped into my mind as you were, were talking about these men and, and when, what they had, and it's humble dignity. That just so describes so many of the people that I have encountered in these rooms who have lived this program for a period of time and continue to be of service in the rooms with it. And it's, it's a humble dignity. They're not, they're not proud. They're not crowing about what they do but there's absolutely a dignity about them that you, I just, I sense it, you know, I, I can meet someone and say, you're, you're one of the people that I want to know. Definitely. Brian, you're doing a podcast now. Uh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, it's called addiction warfare and it's out on anchor and Spotify addiction and it's on YouTube warfare. as well. The whole gist of it is really just about uh, my knowledge and experience, a collective experience of uh, growing up in an alcoholic home and in an addiction as a child, and then ex and experiencing it for myself as well, finding recovery, and then going to school for counseling and working in the field for 10 years. So you take all that and you put it on the one, and I'm really just kind of being making a podcast information that's the whole purpose is like educational. I start off with my, just my story to give people a context. And then I go into uh, the, the truth about addiction 
and then good topics like trauma, grief, shame, the family systems dynamic, just really just educating folks who don't really understand addiction and don't know what to do if they start experiencing it. So that, that's what I'm doing right now. And, uh, and you were a counselor for 10 years. Yeah. Addiction. Counselor. I worked. Yeah. I worked in the field inpatient setting. I went to school for it. I'm a certified counselor by the state of North Carolina. So, you know, I'm doing, I'm using all that experience in the sense, still just talking about what I've seen, you know, I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel or, or make any new claims. You, I use research. If I, if I make a statement, I'll, I'll back it up, but more or less, like what I've seen firsthand, uh, it, it gave me a whole different dynamic by like growing up in it and then actually like experiencing it for myself. So I know what it feels like to be addicted. And then I know what it feels like to find sobriety. But I really learned so much watching people come into treatment and get sober and clean and everything they deal with. And it just shows you the nature of addiction is so much more than just drinking and using or sex or gambling. It's just, it's all the isms. It's the, the trauma, the grief, the shame, um, their family dynamic, all that stuff influences folks. So it's, it's pretty cool. Cause I'm just being me and just sharing what I know. Well, I'll check it out. Thanks yeah. so much, Brian. Brian. So when you came in, tell us something about the struggle that you had when you first came in, what was a place that seemed crazy to you, but then once you got into it, it's like these people know what they're talking about. Yeah, uh, I would say just in general, like giving it more than like, let's say one meeting or giving it a shot. So like they say, when you get beaten into willingness, you know, when you're desperate, you know, you'll do anything. And that's what I feel like I was at. And when I came in, like, of course, I had was skeptical and I was like, I don't know if this is for me. So I had all those t questions. But I think that having been to a few meetings, giving it an actual chance and not just making a judgment off one meeting, because if I didn't go to the Green Street one, like my first couple ones, there was some bickering, some bleeding deacons, you know, like, I mean, there was there that stuff goes on. And for a newcomer, that can be confusing. Or let's say if you finally get the nerve to share and somebody like cuts you off and be like, oh, that's an outside issue. Like the, the rigid, like I didn't experience that necessarily uh, at the Green Street meeting. So like that was why that was my home group, my first home group. It was like that love and tolerance that they speak of, the attraction over promotion. Like that's where... I found that. So any newcomer, I just encourage them to go frequently, go to different ones. Cause I hit like seven different meetings that week and I was hungry. I, I wanted to find out what this thing was about. So having that variety really helped me. That's true. That's like, a, even going out of town, I, was, I did a job out of town. I was at the time two years sober and I was going to be out of town for four weeks and only home on Saturday and Sunday. And I went to an AA meeting the first night of the first week I was there. And I didn't like that meeting. For one thing, they, they passed the basket around. So I put a dollar in and it came up and they went, who put this dollar in the basket? 
And I said, well, I did. He said, this is, this is for people to put in forms that need to be signed. <laughs> I said, well, hold on to it. And you can put it in when, I, when the basket comes around at the end of the meeting, you know? So, you know, that, I thought that was rather harsh. What, is, what do you have to make a big deal about it for? I didn't know. There was no way to know. They never said. So, and then everything anybody said, I didn't like. <laughs> right. Just, Funny how that happens, right? Yeah. So I didn't yeah. like that meeting. And I didn't like meetings in Hickory. And I'm not going to any. I'll just stay sober by calling people. Well, I started going crazy. I, and I ultimately went to another meeting. So I needed to go to different meetings. And ultimately, I went to some other meetings. It was great. AA and Hickory is great. <laughs> oh, good. They're going to let you back in that town now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, but you both talking about this brings up a really good point. And that is, you know, just like I can have a bad day, so can a meeting. And yes. one of the things that I heard when I came into these rooms was um, go to a meeting three times before I cast judgment on it yeah. um, and actually you know, give it a chance. Well, that's why sponsorship is so important, definitely early on, because like I needed somebody to say, Brian, you know, pr principles over personalities and, you know, you, you can get something out of a crappy meeting. <laughs> like I met a guy who I did not want to be like, who had over 20 years sobriety. Mm -hmm. And they, they kind of gave me this example of like, this is more than not drinking. You know, he said something about he hadn't seen his kids in, uh, you know, 10 years, but he hadn't took a drink and he seemed uh, miserable. And uh, it just kind of dawned on me right then, like, that this is more, this is, there's more to it than just not drinking. And that the message is my higher power is in these rooms, no matter what, even in a bad meeting or when someone's coming back in from a relapse or anything can be useful. It's just like your perspective. Like, you know, you come in there, if you're, I don't want to hear this. Oh, I already know what he's going to say. You know, I already, I already can, I can, I can tell you right now what this, old, this guy's going to say. The same <laughs> right? thing. Just, every time. Every time. All right. I can, I can repeat it, but it just, you start to look inward, like, you know, who am I? But for the grace of God that I'm even able to be here, be sober. So I needed that perspective change because, you know, my mind, my thinking is skewed. Yeah, I was complaining about this one guy who said the same thing all the time, which what he said all the time were the absolute basics. Mm -hmm. Yep. Of, of <laughs> staying sober, go to a meeting every every day, 60 meetings in 60 days, 90 meetings in 90 days. I just made it a little bit shorter right there. So 90 <laughs> meetings in 90 days. <laughs> Five meetings in five days, continuously, until you reach 90 meetings in 90 days. Forget all that. I don't stop know making it complex. I'm no good at math. <laughs> <laughs> I got to throw this thing out there. So I used to go to a uh, the Thursday night men's meeting. And, and at one point, there was this guy that, well, he kind of scared me. He and I live, uh, I assume he's still around, live completely different kinds of lives. We are two completely different guys. And he kind of annoyed me, but I still would listen to him when he shared. And when I got to that point where I would listen to him, I started hearing some really good stuff. 
And the scariest damn thought crossed my mind. And that was, I should ask him to sponsor me. Ooh. I never did, uh, <laughs> but still. But you um, learned from it. But I, I you know, the, I, I love that you bring up, uh, Brian, that, that, that I can learn things from people that are not necessarily the lessons I'm looking for. Like, this is not how I want to be at 20 years sober. Right. Things like that. Go ahead, Don. There was a guy at the meeting who always said the same thing, and it would be the most fundamental things about it, recovery. And I complained about him, and I was talking to my sponsor about it, and he said, well, Don, that stuff needs to be said. When you were coming in, didn't you need to hear it? And in fact, that guy, what he said meant the world to me when I first came in because it was it was brand new information. But uh, so I started finding fault and it's like going, he's saying the same thing all the time. Well, it needs to be, somebody's got to say it. Maybe he's not saying it for me. Maybe right. it's not for me. That's it, Sam. <laughs> yeah. Consistent. Yeah, I remember the, first, the guy who struck me the most was like somebody, he looked homeless and he had like seven years sober, you know, Hazel G. And he was just, he would just be like, to drink is to die. And he was oh, so yeah. like... He was so in it, like, and that, sh that, that just grabbed me. It just, I felt that. And, like, even though I didn't get what that meant, I was like, the drink is, like, if I drink, I'm going to die. Like, but then it's like, it made so much sense later on. Like, you know, he's trust God, clean house, help others. Like, and he would go on his little bit of a rant. And, but that message would hit me every time. And I needed that to wake me up and say this is a, this is way more serious than I thought like I don't know about y'all but like even though the more sober I got the more I realized how bad I really was because mm -hmm. when I was coming in like I, I knew I had a drinking problem but like I, I still rationalized justified everything I was like well I know I don't have a job but I got a few leads or you know I don't have an education but you know, I'm gonna sign up for school next year so that I was, it had minimized it so much that I just, I believed the lie that I wasn't that bad. I mean, but the more I got sober, the more I looked back and realized, man, this is way more serious than I thought. I have a huge yeah. problem, yeah. a huge condition of emptiness. And like, I thought the drinking was the biggest problem, but really it was all that other stuff that we learned about in AA. Well, you know, I'm, I'm pretty far away from my last drink. It's easy to forget how important those things were when I came into these rooms because I'm not worried about taking a drink today. I'm not worried about taking a drink tomorrow. You know, my concerns today are, are how am I going to live without like being a dick in this world? Yeah, how are you um, going to live? Yeah. yeah. Um, but when I came into these rooms, you know, I, I carried a little notebook with me because I was hearing all these gems, these yeah. cliches and, and, you know, it takes time and time takes time and don't quit before the miracle happens and, and all these things. And I'm like, I'm never going to hear this again. I got to write this down. Little did I know I was going to hear them for the rest of my life if I say an AA. But <laughs> <laughs> at the time, these were things that I was just latching hold to because they gave me hope. They gave me some, some simple instruction. Yeah, because so I love this uh, this metaphor or example or object lesson, whatever it is, where you take a sheet of paper and that is alcoholism and you tear off just the corner of the sheet of paper and that's drinking. 
throw yeah. that away and the rest of it's the alcoholism and that's what aa is about alcoholism how to live in the world and i would see these people with like years and years and i'd see them every day and i'm like man why do they have to like why are they still here every day and i just wanted to come in and get a quick fix so i can go about my life but then what i learned was like the consistency is what's most important and I can't really keep what I got unless I give it away and keeping it to those basics. They say, you know, if I don't stray away from the basics, then, then I'm going to be okay. And, you know, it really isn't that complex. Like there isn't like a, you know, a 12th grade for AA. It's, it is the basics. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, one day at a time, don't drink, help others, ask for help, pray, meditate, read the literature. Like, I mean, it's just mind blowing how simple the solution is, yet how difficult it really is to apply in your daily life. It's so, crazy. Brian, can you give an example for today, like something that's happened in your life and how you're using the program to stay sober today? Well, cer yeah, certainly. I mean, right now, unemployed. I got three children I raised full time. Normally, I would go into a panic, you know, how am I going to do this, you know, maybe even perpetuate the problem and make it worse because of the pressure of all that. But yet what I was gifted from AA was this beautiful, this perception change of this, the way of the way that I think is not like that. However, I do have a process. Initially, I'm like, oh, oh crap you know, the whole, everything's going to crumble, but I don't stay there long. It's like, I go there and then I'm like, wait, wait, wait a minute. You know, everything's not over. <laughs> you're not, you're still sober. And then I go to, I need to ask for some help. And I would say the most fundamental thing I learned at AA was the ability to ask for help. I learned that early on. And that's one thing I've never steered away from. Like, that was one of my biggest problems was asking for help. And so I've gotten to the point to where that's like my go-to by being willing to ask for help. Like I've already almost lessened the severity of my negative thinking or the problem itself, like immediately by reaching out, I'm able to get some feedback and really change my perception because I can really go there in a dark place because when I first get in some pain, I feel those feelings from 2009 in a strange way. I, I don't feel like drinking. I just feel those feelings again of the lost little boy who doesn't have a clue. And that's what is the most scary for me. So I go there for a brief moment, but I would say the way I apply the program is just that way of thinking like, you know, one, this one day at a time. I don't have a job today, but I'm okay. Really, look at the truth. Look at the facts. Don't go yeah. off in your head with the thinking. And uh, But really, it's just like the, the network, the people, like having that is so important because I have somebody else tell me, I'm like, I'm, I'm like, this, I got nothing. They're like, no, Brian, you do. You, that, that was a job. You know, like you have your sobriety. You have your children. You know, you have a home, <laughs> you have money in the bank 
because you actually saved money through this time and you're going to be okay if you don't drink. So I don't care how far along I get 12 years. It was my mom's death, uh, graduating from college. Like it did. I still have that basic thing. It's like, no matter what, don't drink. Like I will never steer from that. And I don't, and I hope I don't never lose that, that that's really the focal point because if I don't drink, then I can actually work through some of this stuff. Yes. Just because I'm an alcoholic in recovery doesn't mean that I don't have the things going on in the world that everybody else has. I've got things, quote unquote, go wrong. Things don't go the way I want them to go. And previous and, 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 and my reaction to that still can be and it often is uh, this is wrong. Something's wrong here. I'm afraid whatever it is. But it's that next thing that I do. It used to be, I'm going to rail at the world. I'm going to get drunk. I'm going to have a pity party, whatever, but I'm going to get drunk over this. That's not my reaction now. My reaction is like you were just describing, Brian, I ask for help. Pause and give it a second so that I can actually not go get drunk. Because as soon as I do that, it's, it's definitely going to get worse. I'm certainly not going to make it better. But even being sober a long time, the impulse, the thought, oh, drinking would fix this feeling. I could, it still can come. Mm-hmm. I, it happened to me a couple of weeks ago when my son moved out of the house. He's an adult, 32, and he's, um, he had moved here to stay for COVID and he moved back to New York City. After being here all that time, I got used to him being here again. <laughs> And I was like, this is great. He needs to move. He's got no friends here. He's living with his parents. I mean, he needs to move back. And he got a job and he's moved back. Well, it ripped my heart out in a way that I just didn't expect. And it hurt. And it was like when he moved out of the house the first time going to college, empty nest feeling where it's like this, your whole life is now gone and you've got to come up with a different way to live. It's the way it felt. At one point I was going, if I were to get drunk, I wouldn't feel this. And I went, whoa. (laughs) And Brian, I did exactly what you said. I immediately called somebody in AA. I called a guy who has adult children and talked to him, then called somebody else, and then called my sponsor. There was a meeting coming up. I brought it up at the meeting, and by after a little while, I had worked through it. Where it's, I, I mean, I knew that this will pass. I've been sober long enough to know that, but it shocked me that the, that the thought to drink would come. A guy in AA yesterday who lost his wife. Share and he's been sober since the 70s. He said that the thought to drink had, had occurred to him. He knows not to do it, and he knows to work the program and come into the and go to meetings, and and it helps to get through that stuff. And I was going, yep, there it is, the same thing. So the thought occurs to drink when we're in pain. Why? Because we're alcoholics. That always is true. Always. Yeah. yeah, and I heard this expression, like, you can't save your face and your ass at the same time. And so, <laughs> look, I mean, like, I remember being, like, seven, eight years sober, like, afraid to 
share that I'm struggling. Like that, that little bit of ego was there. Like, you know, these people like are affiliated with my work or they know that I'm sober. Like my mom's dying and I'm not handling it well. So, but the, the fact that I actually considered not sharing because of what people might think just really like brings home why wow, this is so much deeper than just drinking. Like the shame or the, the, the perfectionism or whatever, it's like, I can't let people know that I'm struggling. Why? Because I'm supposed to be some, you know, sober man, counselor who, who knows how to do it. Right. Mm-hmm. But just that someone being honest with me and understanding compassion, like Brian, like you're an alcoholic. Like it's almost like instinctual. It's I feel pain or emptiness or sadness or whatever. I want to kill that feeling. I want to, I want to numb it out one way or the other. And alcohol was the, by far the best way to do it. So we can't really judge ourselves and think that this, like that we'll ever be cured or we're immune to struggle and the thought of drinking, like, like that gentleman after 30 years or, or even more than that, yeah. 40 years or something, you know, admits openly that he's thinking about drinking. And I mean, and that really helped me too. Mm-hmm. Like, wow. I'm not alone. And I am one drink away. I'm one drink away from being right back where I was. And that's just mind boggling. It's, it's like a, it's a fear that I carry with me every day that it doesn't control me, but it's there. And I, and I, I'm glad I had that. Like I'm afraid to drink. That healthy fear. I, I can't stop the thought of taking a drink from popping into my head. I cannot make that not happen. I'm powerless over that. I'm powerless over the idea of a drink popping into my head, but I have access to power in the next thought. What do I do next? It's time for our old timers question. Who you calling an old timer? <laughs> you. That's what happens if you don't drink and you don't die. Well, no matter how long you've been sober, it's still one day at a time. Sonny. <laughs> you can post a question at boiledowlaa.org. Uh, we have a question from Rick in South Carolina. Will AA help me resolve my family troubles? Perhaps so, perhaps no. But one thing that will not help resolve family troubles is to continue to drink. That will be guaranteed to blow it all up. I like the expression of it. We are when we get sober in a family, we're like a drop of water in the, in a lake, a flaccid lake, and then the rings spread out of the lake. We need to be like water. I can't change other people, but all I can do is be an example and and focus on myself and and live the best that I can and not contribute to anger, not contribute to turmoil. Peace, peace is every step, Thich Nhat Hanh says that he has a book called Peace is Every Step that I've read and loved. And 
the only thing I can do to influence the rest of the world and to bring more peace in the world, which is what we all want, is to look at look at my behavior constantly, uh, inventory, what I'm doing. I ask my higher power for help, and I live in such a way to bring some light into the world instead of bringing turmoil into the world. So as far as getting anybody else to do anything, I don't think that I can do it. But I know that if I look at myself, I don't make matters worse. Thanks, Don. Brian, uh, will AA help me resolve my family troubles? First answer that comes to mind is yes. I would say it's definitely going to be different. And there's nothing a drink or drug won't make worse. And so I know that today. But I also know that not all problems stem from the, from the alcohol, but it's a beginning. And that's what I was taught early on that, first of all, to change the dynamic here, something's got to change. Like, so if nothing changes, nothing changes. How about we start with you, Brian? Right? Because I was like, I wanted to change everybody else. How about we start with you? You know, what do you think your biggest problem is right now? You know, and it was my alcohol, hands down. So what I've witnessed, and this is just my experience, is by working on me and changing my behavior and stopping drinking and finding sobriety, everything else got better around me. And I'm not saying that people got better. It's I got better. Therefore, I was less conflicted with you know, my loved ones. I didn't have to lie as much. And that was a freedom. And, and that made my relationships better. Uh, <laughs> I was able to work more efficiently, right? So I had less turmoil at work, the boss breathing down my neck. Why? Because I was actually showing up on time, doing my job and leaving. It was amazing. <laughs> but what I really looked at, it was like, you know, half my problems went away immediately when I stopped drinking. Half of them. And the other half is what I was able to work on with the principles of the program. So it was almost like that, it's, without that going, that I would have never really going to stood a chance on working on the, everything else that was going wrong. So for me, it was like that was the first step for my family to get better was for me to stop drinking and work on me. So like the answer I would say to you is absolutely yes. Um, if you're an alcoholic, then there's pro there's a good chance that a lot of your problems are associated with the alcohol. So start there and see what happens. Wow. Thank you, Brian. Um, <laughs> Brian totally took my answer. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, you know, the, the one thing that, that stood out to me was a one one word in, in Rick's question was, uh, his question was not, will AA resolve my family troubles? It was, will AA help me resolve my family troubles? AA will help. And Brian just so perfectly described that thing of, you know, when I quit drinking, a whole lot in my life got a hell of a lot better really fast. And then when I worked the steps, I had these opportunities, especially on step nine, to clean up some things with people, including family. And then by continuing to live this program, I don't screw up as much as I used to. And when I do screw up, I have a way of handling it. Now, that doesn't mean that all my relationships were cured. 
It doesn't mean that I don't have relationships without conflict today. Uh, and, and, you know, I mean, that's just a part of the human experience. But the fact is that my relationships today, family, friends, business, all kinds are so much better than they were when I was a drinker. But yeah, Brian, thank you for sharing that the way you did. Yeah, I wanted to be very general. But the truth of the matter is, it's almost certain if an alcoholic getting sober is going to improve their family <laughs> a great deal. I mean, it's going to happen. There's some situations where the other person's, it's not going to work out, but it's kind of rare. It seems like, it, I mean, I've seen so many families, couples work out their differences in a way when, when the alcoholic gets sober. So just to bring up the example that's uh, I talked about in the big book, you know, there are marriages that don't survive getting sober. Yeah. Right. But that that's doesn't why. necessarily mean that those two people are enemies. Right. They may still have a good relationship. They may still be amicable. They may be lifelong friends. They're just not married anymore. What I have found is that for the most part, not in 100%, but for the most part, relationships change. They don't end. They don't necessarily change the way I want them to, but if I don't resist them changing, things work out really well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sometimes it gets worse before it gets better. And if a marriage ends, that means that the, the toxicity or the, the turmoil, the damage was done. And so in a sense, it's still improving because why stay in a relationship that's broken beyond repair? And so I remember this one guy, he had always wore these funny hats. I'm sure y'all remember that guy. Oh, yeah. He used to say, my wife's never met me sober. <laughs> so, like before he got sober, she, he, he was like, she never even met the sober me. So <laughs> I don't know if she liked me better or worse. <laughs> but, you know, it's funny because a lot of people are meeting you for the first time sober some of my friends especially you know that that relationship ended because i got sober mm -hmm. it wasn't the other way around like it was like you know i got nothing to offer them anymore you know i'm not the, the entertainment for them anymore so they don't have any use for me so it's like it's funny some relationships got repaired some ended right and then some some new ones got formed and th that's okay yeah, it's like you can see the relationships a lot more clearly after you get sober. That was true for me. It's like I had friends. I've got two friends that were drinking friends. Almost all my drinking friends, those relationships have ended. But these two guys I'm still friends with. And what that means is that there was more going on there than just drinking. That Because with the other people... Really, it was based on drinking. That's my experience, too. And those relationships that were based on drinking didn't end badly. They didn't no. end with making enemies or anything like that. They just kind of petered out because I wasn't drinking anymore. don't have yeah. anything in common once you quit drinking. But I do have that handful of people that we used to drink with, that I used to drink with, that are still in my life today. So yeah, so it's a very similar experience. i got to share this quip that I've heard over the years. You know, I liked you a lot better when you were drinking. Oh, yeah. Well, I liked you a lot better when I was drinking, too. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like a lot of people a lot better when I was drinking. <laughs>
Oh, Brian, uh, I'm glad to know you sober. I don't think I really Absolutely. wanted to know you drinking. I saw you when you came in. I was, I remember it's when you came in and you were a wreck. <laughs> yeah. I'm, gl I'm yeah. glad to see you now. You know, uh, I would say, hands down, men's groups of AA was what saved my life. Because I literally came to the men's group about six months sober. It's Saturday morning's men's group, my home group today. And it literally just changed everything for me. And it limited the distractions and it, it just gave me everything I needed, the father figure or the love and tolerance and the like hands-on examples, real life examples of what it would be like to be a man in sobriety. Without that, I don't know where I would be. And it made me want to change. Like, this is what I want to be. I was confused because I thought what I wanted was you know where I was headed, but I was way off in like uh, integrity and you know being a good father, a good husband, or a good employee, like a leader. Like I, I didn't realize that's what I was looking for until I found it. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Sure enough. Yeah, the example of those guys. That yeah, that was true for me. I came in and was like, I didn't trust older men, and there was all these old men with all this incredible wisdom in AA. And, I was like, eh. and now you're one of them. Now, no. now you're an old timer. <laughs> Who you calling an old timer? <laughs> Be like, this is alcohol. You, you got a little spittle on the camera lens there, Don. <laughs> that old timer, that old timer character is a little bit crusty. <laughs> yeah, if you're, if your legs are crossed with, loafers <laughs> with no socks, you're, you're done. Now, what is that? <laughs> Say it again. Your leg, I mean, all the way over. That's the proper old-timer AA. All the way over. No socks with the loafers. You have reached, <laughs> you have reached AA enlightenment. <laughs> Wait a minute. I'm taking my socks off. I know, right now, right now. <laughs> right now, now. This is how you finally become that spiritual gas giant, Don. <laughs> Brian, thanks for joining us. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much, Brian. This has been a blast. It really has. Y'all, thank y'all for having me. <laughs> thanks for joining us. The Boiled Owl podcast is posted on the 1st and 15th of every month. If you'd like to contribute to help with expenses, information on that is at the bottom of our website. Visit us at boiledowlaa.org or email giveahoot at boiledowlaa.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous in your city or visit aa.org. Please note, Boiled Owl AA is produced by members of Alcoholics Anonymous and only expresses our experience and opinions. It is not endorsed by AA World Services. I just want to note that Brian just took a swig from a gallon <laughs> container. Is that how you used to drink too? Yeah. You know, <laughs> not much change. It just goes from like moonshine to water. <laughs>